Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. I am your host Julie and each Thursday we are having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today's special guest is Jenny Lisk, a podcaster and author of the book Future Widow to tell us about becoming a single parent. This episode is very helpful as Jenny tells us about preparation to grief, also known as anticipatory grief. Through explaining her story, we also learn about grief allies and the importance of support, processing and coping mechanism, and how being honest with kids is very important in these difficult times. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can also write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. Click on the five-star button on Spotify and join us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure for daily positive education content. But without further ado, let's begin. Cette chanson. Maman, papa, maman, papa. Hi Jenny, how are you today? Hi Julie, I'm great. How are you? Very good. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Could you please introduce yourself for the audience? Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's see where to begin. Uh, my name is Jenny Lisk and I live in Seattle, Washington in the United States. So there's the most basic uh, information. <laughs> I am a podcaster. I'm an author. Um, and specifically, I help widowed parents. So my podcast is called The Widowed Parent Podcast. My book is called Future Widow. Um, and how I got into this is, is it's a long story. I'll give you the short version and then we can go <laughs> wherever you want uh, with it. But it was, let's see, seven years ago right now. So in the spring of 2015, mm -hmm. my husband, Dennis, we'd been married for like 16 years at that point, And our kids were eight and 10. And he started feeling a little bit dizzy. Just, you know, not a big deal, right? A little dizzy. I mean, be dehydrated. I don't know. Sometimes people are dizzy and I had no idea it would turn out to be terminal brain cancer. Wow. 
um, it was the craziest thing. It was like, he'd been feeling a little dizzy. We talked about seeing his doctor. We made an appointment. He made an appointment with his primary care doctor. But the really weird thing while we were waiting for that appointment was he started exhibiting some signs of confusion, like cognitive, but just weird. Like he was mostly fine, mostly normal, but then he would like not quite understand something. And then I'm thinking, am I second guessing myself? Right. Am I overreacting? Am I reading too much into the situation? Cause then he'd be mm -hmm. fine. Anyway, we go to the doctor and the doctor says, let's get an MRI of your brain. And we were expecting to, you know, have the MRI be sent away. They'd call us in a couple of days. Well, after the MRI, the tech said, why don't you go back upstairs to the doctor's office? Actually, he wants to see you now. And, you know, it's so like, okay, well, this is not a good thing, right? That's not how they, I don't know how they do things where you are, but where I am, that's not how they usually it's do similar. things. Yeah. yeah. It's not a good and, sign usually. Right. And so we go back up to the doctor's office and he says, well, there's something really wrong with your brain. I don't want to scare you, but I think you should know what you might be dealing with. It might be glioblastoma. Meanwhile, I'm like, glioblastoma? I've never heard of that. What's glioblastoma, right? Well, it turns out mm -hmm. it's a very aggressive form of brain cancer with a survival rate in the single digits. And so anyway, you might have glioblastoma. You need to go see the neurosurgeon tomorrow. And we go to the neurosurgeon and he says, yeah, we need to do brain surgery the following day. So this is like all of a sudden we went from life was normal, life was good, life was fine to you're having brain surgery. And at that point, all we knew was it was a tumor, right? It could have been cancerous, not cancerous. Some tumors are more easily dealt with than others. Well, it was the worst case and it was this very aggressive, very fast brain cancer. So um, he lived for eight months. And so that was a time of caregiving for me. We had hospice at the end. We had all these emergency room visits and surgeries and, and all these things. And I also became in effect a single parent immediately. He mm -hmm. was still alive, but especially, you know, I mentioned that he had some cognitive confusion in the beginning. Well, after his first surgery, he was never the same cognitively. He was confused. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, he like wouldn't remember that he was sick or maybe would remember he had some type of cancer, but didn't remember what type it was. Didn't remember that he was dying. Even though, you know, he had been in all the meetings with the doctors where they told us all the information, but he kept forgetting. So I was in this period where I'm like, okay, I'm taking care of him. I'm taking care of my two kids. I had a ton of help, friends, family, colleagues, but how do I, how do I parent these kids knowing what's coming? Right. Yeah. And so it was eight months like that. And then he died. And then I was like, okay, now I'm a hundred percent a single parent, widowed parent. How do I parent grieving kids? I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. Right. Like I, I so far for 11 years, I've been up there you know, by the time he died, there were nine and 11. So for 11 years, I've been a regular parent with regular kid issues. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I'm not a grief expert. I'm not a parenting expert. I'm not like, how do I do this? Right. Mm. Um, so I ended up deciding that I should start a podcast and go out and ask people and interview people and say, how do we do this? Cause I can't be the only one, right? Like there must be a lot of other widowed parents like me who are also wondering what to do, what to know, what not even knowing what they don't know. So why don't I go out and interview people 
and you know learn myself and stand in the place of my listeners in the interviews and and ask questions on their behalf and share it out in the form of a podcast and and that's how it all got started and that was coming up on four years ago um, that the mm-hmm. podcast started. Mm. So it still took you three years then to begin the podcast, right? After well, let's see. He died. Yeah, he died in January of 2016, and I started it in uh, November of 2018. Uh, so about two and a half, uh, close to three mm-hmm. years. And and November. The reason November is it's Children's Grief Awareness Month. Oh. Um. And so I realized, you know, when I was trying to get this started, that I should, you know, make sure I started it in November to try to get some of that extra focus on it you know that that kind of month would would bring mm-hmm. and so the two years two years and a half before how were you coping with everything because obviously then you you know try to ask for support to a wider group and audience but before was it mainly your your family and friends or whether you know like some groups or yeah that's an interesting question uh so I for myself. So there's, there's, it's, it's interesting because I was all of a sudden in two new situations. There was myself as a grieving person, as a widowed person, as someone who's lost their spouse of 17 years by that point. Um, and then there's myself as a parent of grieving children. And the interesting thing is, even though the, the three of us all lost the same person, his name was Dennis, we lost a very different relationship. I lost a spouse, they lost a parent. And, and I don't know what it's like to lose a parent as a nine-year-old or an 11-year-old, or even now, because both my parents are still alive, right? And so it's an interesting when you realize that even though we all lost the same person, we all have a very different experience of that loss. And so I, for myself, um, I found a therapist that I loved that I would, I, sp- I can't tell you how many hours I spent <laughs> sitting in her office talking to her. I also, I'm the kind of person who goes and looks for books. So I went to Amazon, you know, typed in like, where's the book and read everything I could find there. There's also, there's something called Camp Widow, which is, um, it's not camping. It sounds like it might be, but but it's not. It's uh, run by an organization called Soaring Spirits and they are U.S. based, but they're starting to do work other places, including quite a bit in Australia. Um, I don't know if they're doing anything in the U.K., Um, but they check it out and leave the link as well, because a lot of people are also from Australia who listen and, and yeah, and so on. So. Yeah. And they, well, so they run Camp Widow in the U.S. about three, well, actually one, one in Toronto and one in Florida and one in San Diego. They've been doing that three times a year for a while now, and they've added something in Australia coming up this year. Um, but basically it's a, it's a conference for lack of a better word. It's at a fancy hotel, you know, and, and with, um, speakers and workshops, but also a lot of connection and there's fun too. They plan like a, you know, a Saturday evening dance party and everybody there's widowed. And it's just like, you know, let's get together with people who get it. And whether we're talking about grief or not talking about grief, everybody kind of is kind of gets it. And so it's a very supportive environment. So I found things like that for myself. Um, I, um, You know, and and regarding supporting the kids, I mean, I I tried to read things. I tried to talk to some friends who were widowed who had kids. I actually, it, it turns out I'm a little bit unusual in that I have quite a few friends who live close by um, who are widowed with kids in grade school, high school. And now some of them are college age because they've grown, you know, over the years. <laughs> mm. But um, I found out when I went to Camp Widow that actually m- most widowed parents don't know anybody else 
in their kids' school community or in their neighborhood or their social circles who's widowed with a kid in grade school or high school or, or a young child um, and feel very isolated and very um, alone. And that's one of, I think, the important things about connecting, whether it's through something like Camp Widow, whether it's through, there are other grief centers um, actually in, I could give you a link in the US, there's a National Alliance for Children's Grief Mm-hmm. which is an organization of all these grief centers in many, many communities all across the country. And I don't know that they link to any in other countries outside the U.S. I think a few in Canada, but there is some kind of a similar Canadian group. I know there's a yeah, lot of work going on. Yeah, there's a lot of work going on in the U.K. as well. Um, I just don't know if there's like one link to send you for that. But um, there's a lot of good work going on. And one of the reasons that I started the podcast is I wanted to help get the word out, right? Like, like I didn't know about all this stuff going on and it's a little bit fragmented, right? There's a group here doing excellent work. There's a group here doing excellent work. There's a group here doing excellent work, but unless you happen to know about them, you know, any particular family might be struggling. there, looking for resources, right. And not knowing that there's something going on. In fact, it's interesting. I heard from a a listener in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I interviewed somebody at Kate's Club, which is a very large, very well-regarded organization in Atlanta that serves a a lot of grieving kids, and they have for some years now. And I interviewed them um, about, you know, this topic and also shared a little bit about their program so that if anybody was in Atlanta, they could call them up. So I heard from a listener who wrote to me and said, oh, my gosh, I live in Atlanta. I didn't realize that I was driving past Kate's club every single day when I was dropping my kids off at school. I didn't even know they existed. I hadn't seen them, but I learned about them from you in Seattle on your podcast. And now I'm going to call them up and, you know, connect with their programs. So that's kind of some of the stuff I'm trying to do is, you know, is, mm-hmm. is raise awareness of some of those resources that do exist because there are people doing, doing excellent work. They can really be helpful. Yeah. And it makes such a, a big difference. That's good that she also took the time to write that feedback to you because it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And we've sort of struck up an email correspondence from time to time now, which is nice too. Mm. Yes. Because I guess that obviously in the beginning, the family is a lot of help, although a lot of them are also grieving. Right. So it must be tough for everyone. And yeah. So this is reminding me about what I call grief allies. So we did have a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Um, while my husband was sick and after he died. And, and I think it's really um, important for people to understand how they can help the grieving people in their life or the people in a you know, terminal illness uh, situation like we were. And it's interesting because one of the, I had never been on this side of the equation before, right? And I'm sure I've messed up lots of things, like not knowing what to say to somebody. And so I'm not saying anything at all because you don't want to say the wrong thing, right? Mm-hmm. And being on this side of the equation, it, it was interesting because I could see you, you, you just you can see who feels comfortable reaching out, who feels comfortable just being there and being supportive, who who, you know, is struggling with what to say and how, like you see the kind of variety of responses. Um, and one of the things I learned from it is that it is important to say something and it almost doesn't matter what you say as long as what you're saying is basically I'm here and I care, and I'm not going to run away because this is weird and awkward and hard. As long as kind of that's what you're saying, it's all good. I mean, Mm -hmm. because, and I think the reason people struggle with what to say or how to support somebody 
is they really want to like fix the problem, right? And I've had this problem, right? If I could only decide uh, the, the magic words that I can write in this condolence card to fix this problem, you know, I can't think of the magic words that are going to help. So maybe I'll put it off a little while longer and maybe I'll think of the magic words. Well, of course, it's an impossible task. There's no magic words, mm-hmm. right? So as long as I think I have to find the perfect words, I'm going to keep putting it off and then I'm never going to send the card because I'm going to be like, oh my God, I can't send the card. It's too late now. I'm embarrassed to send the card, right? And it's not just about cards. It's about reaching out another way, any way that you want to reach mm-hmm. out, right? Um, and uh, and well, what I learned is that you know, if you just accept the fact that there are no magic words that fix the actual problem, nothing that anybody said or did could erase my husband's terminal condition. So if you set that aside and you say, what I can do is, you know, be there, but also what I can do is fix practical problems. Like if, if I need dinner, you know, delivered to the house yeah. because I'm in the hospital running around doing stuff. Somebody could fix that problem for me. They could drop off dinner. They could send me a pizza, right? If my kid needs to get to soccer practice every Monday and Wednesday, somebody can fix that problem. They can set up a carpool, right? If the lawn needs mowing and I don't have time to do it or the dogs need walking and I don't have time to do it, or I, maybe I just don't have the energy to do it. Somebody can fix all those problems. Hmm. And, and so I've realized that, you know, giving yourself permission to say, I can't fix the underlying problem, so I don't need to even bother trying, but I can fix the logistical problems, which then, you know, that takes something off my plate, which then lets me either have time to grieve or have time to deal with hospitals and doctors and other stuff or whatever it is. Um, I think that's, it's an important lesson that I learned and something that I've been trying to share with grief allies, because I think, especially now in the pandemic, right? More people know people who are grieving Mm -hmm. and it's on more people's minds now. And people want to know how they can support their colleagues, their neighbors, their friends. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Yeah, this is very valuable advice, and you're completely right. I think sometimes people are too awkward and they're so afraid of saying the wrong thing or making things worse or. Yeah, so it's just you're you're a bit paralyzed and you don't take action. So it's it's really good to hear that, and I hope it will be useful for many many people. Yeah. And you said that when your husband was sick, you were trying to prepare yourself, like obviously as a, a grieving wife and with your your kids. What type of preparation can you do at this stage? So that's interesting. Uh, there's a concept known as anticipatory grief, which is kind of a clinical word. And it's like anticipatory grief. What is that? Right. Mm -hmm. And well, it turns out it's like when uh, somebody, you know, somebody is going to be dying and you kind of start grieving ahead of time. Now, does that make it easier, harder? No, not necessarily, right? But it's just, it is a thing. And it is a different experience than someone who dies uh, suddenly of a surprise cause of death. Um, and so for me, I actually started, like I knew that this brain cancer was going to be terminal, even though there was a very tiny, tiny percentage chance that, you know, some people survive it. I just knew based on the number of complications and his level of confusion and the growth of the tumor and these things that he wasn't going to be one of the small percentage of lucky people. Mm. So even though we did the treatments and things, you know, they didn't help. And I actually started writing and writing specifically on Caring Bridge, which is a online journal, basically blog. It's a blog for people, you know, for grief and uh, difficult situations. Sometimes somebody will go into the hospital and someone will start a caring bridge. For example, it's a way to keep friends and family and loved ones updated um, on what's going on with the situation. And so mm -hmm. when my husband had his first surgery, my sister actually said, why don't you start a caring bridge to keep people updated. And I said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I will just send some texts, send some emails, keep people updated. Well, it pretty quickly became obvious that wasn't going to be feasible. <laughs> and, you know, we were lucky to have a lot of people who wanted to follow along and be supportive. And so she started the Caring Bridge and, and then I quickly took it over being the one doing all the posting. And it's interesting because it started out very matter of fact, like reporting on status. He had surgery, he's out, he's eating, send a card, whatever, basic kind of stuff. But over time, it started to become a, a vehicle for me to start reflecting and kind of processing as we went through it, through this experience. And I found myself, you know, stealing little moments. If I had to drive to the hospital and I had 20 minutes by myself in the car to drive across the bridge into downtown, I would be thinking, And like turning over in my head, what do I want to post next? What do I want to share with all these wonderful people who are, who are following along? And that kind of thinking about what to write and what to share was, you know, in hindsight, it was helping me start to process the experience and start to think about things that, you know, maybe I wouldn't have been thinking about if I, if I didn't decide that I was going to be writing and sharing So I think that's one of the things that that helped me as we went along. And, and it was also interesting because he was so confused. 
there was only one chance, and it was very brief, for, uh, for the two of us to talk about the experience, about what was coming. Mm. It wasn't like, so, you know, sometimes if, if somebody has a, a, a terminal diagnosis, then there's time for like a bucket list type activities. You know, we're going to do these things. We're going to have these discussions. Um, yeah. But in, in this case, there was no, there was none of that. I mean, there was no traveling for one thing, because we were constantly dealing with medical emergencies mm. and medical treatments. And then there was no, like, let's have all these meaningful discussions because he didn't ever remember that he, you know, that he was dying. And so it would have been pointless for the most part for me to, you know, if, if he's sitting there having some lunch and watching television because he's bedridden, why would I bring up, let's talk about how sad we are that you're going to die. Yeah. And when, especially when that would just be like terrible for that time. And then, you know, an hour later, he'd for 15 minutes later, he'd forget again anyway. Like, why would, why would I keep bringing that up? You know? Hmm. Um, so that was, I didn't have that as a, you know, talking with him was not available to me as a processing or, or coping mechanism. Yeah, that makes sense. It's pretty tough. And then obviously you had to prepare your kids and I'm sure they had a lot of questions and fears and how do you deal with that? And I guess they're not, too young i mean it's, it's way too young but you see what i mean like to understand death it's not like they were infants or something mm. right, like I, I wonder how you can explain such a thing to yeah well the uh, important thing that i've learned is how important it is to be honest with kids about difficult situations including death and including you know cause of death um, and, and about the situation. And I, um, you know, it's interesting. I, when, when he, they, he first was sick, you know, we only knew it was a tumor. And then when we found out that it was cancer and that, you know, and it was terminal, I, my friend called me up and she said, when are you going to tell your kids? And, and I think she could tell that I was hoping to just stick my head in the sand and avoid the whole situation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, you know, the thing is, our kids asked us tonight if he was going to, you know, we told them the news of the diagnosis and they asked if he was going to die and we didn't want to lie to them. So we, we told them the truth and, you know, we don't know when he's going to die, but yeah, they, you know, it's terminal. And so my friend said, uh, you need to tell your kids tonight. They need to hear this from you before they go to school tomorrow wow. and hear it on the playground. Because she said, you know, we had this discussion at our dinner table and I'm sure the same conversation is happening at other dinner tables in our school community tonight. And you don't want your kids to show up tomorrow and hear from someone else that their dad's going to die. And I was like, oh my God. All right. You're right. You're right. But at the same but time, it's a lot of pressure just suddenly. It is a lot of pressure. Yes. But, but the thing is like, and there was no way to make it better. Right. I could, I couldn't make the facts any better. I couldn't, but I could make it worse by not having them hear it from me. Yeah. By having them overhear it on the playground or from having some kid, whether they just mentioned it as a fact or whether they said something dumb or whether they, I don't know what, like all those things would be worse than hearing it from me in a supportive way. Right. For sure. So, yeah, that's one of the major things that, and then, and then in all the interviews that I've done with experts on the, on the podcast, that has been reinforced 
over and over and over again, how important it is to be honest with kids. And it oftentimes it comes up if let's say a parent dies by suicide and the surviving parent maybe wonders, should they tell the kids that, or should they make up a different story that sounds less bad, like they died of a heart attack or something else. Hmm. And you'd be surprised how often people try to cover it up and tell the kids and others maybe that it was a heart attack. And the problem is eventually the kids will find out the truth, whether you tell them yourself because you decide later they're old enough or something, or whether they Google it and they find out or whether some other kid tells them on the playground or whatever it is, they will eventually find out. And then that bond of trust with the surviving parent is, is damaged. And Mm -hmm. that bond of trust is so important. Um, And so, you know, again, it's like, you can't make the fact that they died of suicide any better but you can make it worse if you compound it with lying. For sure. And yeah, I guess then they come with more questions as time goes on. Right. And, and you right. just have to stay honest and, and manage their anxiety. Well, and that's an interesting point too, right? Because you can let them lead with their questions, right? Like you did, it's kind of like, you know, now they say like, you know, talking about sex, like you shouldn't just sit down and say like, okay, now we're having a whole discussion and now we're never talking about it again, right? (laughs) Like you let their questions guide the discussion. And so a child who's younger, they might have one or two questions, uh, you know, about the death or whatever. Um, They might have one or two questions and then be done. And then they have another question tomorrow or next week. And then in a year, they have 10 more questions or whatever it is, right? And so you don't, it doesn't have to be like, oh, they opened the door. So let's sit down and have a whole big long discussion. But it's perfectly okay and even helpful to, to, to answer their questions and say, do you have more questions? And if they say no, that's fine. And so, you know, I'm always here uh, letting them know, sending that message that this topic is not off limits, that you can ask me what you want, when you want. And I will answer the best I can. Um, sending that message that it's the topic isn't off limits is very, very important. Yes. And also probably making it like for them to work on it at their own time. And yeah. like this way you're sure that it's age appropriate or what they're able right. to, to take on and, and think about. Right. But sometimes when you have the whole conversation, maybe some bits are. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And they say if the kid is old enough to ask the question, then they're old enough for a, an honest answer. Right. And so yeah. if you're letting the discussion be led by their questions, then you know you're sticking with territory that, you know, that that is is pr- appropriate to be talking about. Mm. Good to good to know. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yes. Is there any less advice that you would like to share? You know, I would also say that it's okay not to have all the answers, right? So so you're sending this message that the door is open for discussion and for questions, and they're going to come to you and, with questions, and, and, you know, you might be freaked out that you can't answer all the questions. And, and that's okay, right? And it's always okay to say, I don't know. And then sometimes if it's a question about facts, like how does cancer work or, you know, what are the brain cancer survival rates or something? Then you can say, I don't know, but would you like to learn more about that? Let's do some research together. Let's see if we can find out. Right. So there's Mm -hmm. that kind of question. There's other questions like, you know, maybe they're asking something about their 
parent's condition or whatever? And, and the answer is, I don't know, but we're talking to the doctor next week and we'll have more information then. And I will be sure to come right back from the appointment and let you know what we've learned, right? So there's that kind of thing. And then there's other questions like, um, you know, like why did dad have to die, right? And there isn't really an answer to that there is there's there's no answer and so and so realizing that you don't have to necessarily be afraid of a question like that if you realize that you can try to connect around the emotions behind the question so like Mm. why did dad have to die well i i don't know and it sucks and it's awful and you know and you know whatever makes sense in the context right but i i really miss him and i can tell you do too and and trying to open that door to discussing how they're feeling about the situation. You can, you, it doesn't have to be like, I can't answer why did he die? So I'm going to run away from the discussion, right? No, if you can figure out how to connect around the emotions that the, the child is expressing or thinking about, um, then that's really, you know, that's, then that becomes a good discussion because then you're being supportive, you're being open and you're communicating. And really that's, um, that's, that's the goal. Yeah. That's very helpful. Uh, thank you for sharing the advice. I think it's great because you don't want everyone to just suffer in the corner and just, you know, like be able to support each other and yeah. go through this as a family. So it's very helpful. Thank you for your expertise. We will leave all the links in the description box so that everyone at home can can check your work, your podcast, and also the different groups that we talked about at the beginning. And thank you so much for everything that you do, Jenny. Yeah, you're welcome. That sounds great. And I should say, if people want to know more about supporting their friends who are grieving, uh, griefallies.com. I have a whole bunch of information that's free and, and is, would be helpful, I think, to them. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jenny. Okay. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.